I'm trying to visit every country in the world and I'm also trying to become the youngest man to ever do this. How do you get to this point and what do those early days look like? I never even left Germany when I was a kid because my family never traveled anywhere. I at some point walked to my teachers and I was like, I want to quit my high school education and I'm basically going to drop out and follow my passion. And so many people prefer safety and they procrastinate the adventures. But do you not care about your life? If you want to become a serious traveler, you can't care too much about safety and there's also so many other things that can go wrong welcome back to the seeds of success podcast by sprout i'm your host william rossi and it is my job to bring you inspiring interviews from high achievers from all over the world our mission as always is to bring you the tools and the mindset and the systems to help you figure out who you are and what you want so that you can get out into the world and turn your dream life into your reality our guest today is luca Luca is trying to become the youngest man to visit every country in the world, and he is well on his way to achieving it. Luca has visited 162 out of 195 countries in the world, is featured in the Forbes 30 under 30 list for being a master juggler, speaks five languages, and holds multiple Guinness World Records. By the way, Luca is only 22 years old. We'll chat with Luca about his insights from his world travels, learn about how we can be better citizens of the world, and manage the fight between chasing our passions and being realistic, and so much more. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest, Luca Ferdmenges. Luca, it's great to have you on here, man. You have an incredible story. I mean, you've traveled to so many different places. I myself absolutely love traveling, but I don't think in the same regard that you have and that you do. And I'm very excited to get into this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I, I just want to ask because I follow you on Instagram and you know we've been looking at each other's posts for a while. Where have you last traveled to? I don't know if your Instagram is directly tied into your actual location, but where have you been recently? So it's usually a bit delayed because the further I get into my mission of visiting every country in the world, the more delayed my posts get as well, because usually I don't have internet when I travel. I just came back from West Africa some days ago, and now I'm just spending some time with my family in Germany, which is quite rare. Wow. Where about in, in West Africa? So I've recently done everything from Guinea-Bissau to Liberia. And then on, on that, on, and then on another trip, I did Benin, Togo and Ghana. And I just came back from Ghana then. Yeah. Oh my God. Are there a lot of foreigners there? Not really. Depends where you go. Sure. In Ghana, you have quite some foreigners. But once you go to like Guinea-Bissau, surely not. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Tell me about your goal. You've got a huge goal that you're after. What is that goal? I do. So I'm trying to visit every country in the world and I'm also trying to become the youngest man to ever do this. So the current record is about 23 something. And I'm saying man for a reason because there's actually a woman who has done it at an earlier age, uh, Lexi Limitless. She was 21 when she visited every country in the world. But I'm still going to try to become the youngest man to visit every country in the world. Um, so I have about two years left to fulfill this goal and I'm missing 39 countries at the moment. 39 countries. So how... I don't know how many countries there are in the world. So how many countries? So I'm counting 195, which is all the UN members, plus the observer states, which is Palestine and Vatican City. Wow. Okay, amazing. Tell me, or, or for the viewer, right? So the person who doesn't know you, tell us a bit about your story. I mean, this is a crazy goal, like a super ambitious goal at such a young age. How do you get to this point? And what do those early days look like? 
So what most people don't know is I'm actually a circus performer originally, right? So I'm, I'm a juggling performer by heart, basically. I've been juggling for like over 12 years now, and that's how I got into traveling in the first place. So we performed at the Chinese circus festival and things, and that's, that's, these are the things that really got me into traveling in the first place. But at heart, I'm a juggling performer, right? So um, I don't technically work for the circus, but I'm self-employed. I perform juggling shows. And I've always enjoyed traveling. And then at some point I started this little YouTube series, basically just for me and my friend. And we were setting each other challenges, going to all the different European countries, trying to do embarrassing things in all the countries and making it funny, producing some content for YouTube, basically also just for ourselves for fun. And that's what really got me into traveling. And then at some point during COVID, all of our shows stopped because no audiences were allowed. So... As a performer, you were quite screwed at that time. And I was in South Africa at that point, And I was like, well, what do I do with my life now? Like, basically, my whole life has been taken away right now by not being able to perform those shows. So I was like, well, I could, in theory, still become the youngest man to visit every country in the world. And it was obviously quite difficult then in those COVID years to travel. But um, I, set those, I set this goal in the COVID time because... I couldn't perform. I just couldn't perform. So usually I was quite busy. I was living in Austria at the time, performing lots of juggling shows for company events. And then at some point I was like, well, maybe I should just focus on creating content right now, traveling the world and finishing the goal of visiting every country. Wow. So did you love traveling from when you were younger and the juggling was helping that goal or that interest? Or was it the reverse? Did you just love juggling and because you were great at it, and doing the shows and made you travel? If anything, it was the reverse because fun fact, I never even left Germany when I was a kid because my family never traveled anywhere. We always only traveled to the German North Sea and that was it. So as a kid, I was always very jealous of the other kids in school that told me, oh, I went to Spain or Italy or even New York in their vacations. And I was like, I want to do that. And I was always low-key jealous. Like I had a great childhood, not gonna lie, but there was always this little travel aspect missing. I was like, was my biggest dream to go to Spain one day and my germ my family was always like nah we'll just go to the German North Sea that's fine and maybe that's exactly the reason why I'm trying to visit every country now because I have this <laughs> this little thing in my mind that's like oh but I wanted to travel maybe that's what got me into the whole thing yeah because you hadn't done it before and now exactly, you really yeah. want to do it yeah I took my first flight at age 16 actually so that was very late yeah, yeah what was that like what was that like to leave the country? It was weird because I was going to the juggling convention, the European juggling convention in Poland. And I didn't even have a passport. I didn't even have my identity card at that time. So I had to get like a special letter from the police confirming my identity and stuff. Oh my God. Because I was just not used to traveling. But it worked out in the end. And I went with one of my closest friends, Daniel, um, who actually was the reason why I got good in juggling in the first place because he like really trained me up. And he's one of the best jugglers in the world as well. And we flew to Poland then to the European Juggling Convention. And that was my first ever like proper international travel experience. Wow, that's really cool. So I've been to a lot of countries myself, not nearly as many as you've been How to. How many countries have you been to? I'm curious now. Uh, I believe I've been to 32. That's a lot. That's a lot. For someone who like doesn't I was, have the goal of yeah, visiting every country, right. surely that's... <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, with someone who doesn't have the same goal as you, yeah. I would say it's, it's more than most people I know. For sure. 
I mean, I have a goal of going to a lot more, not every single country, but a lot more. I'm curious though, before getting into all of your other experiences, you know, I've been to some countries where I'm comfortable and it's, it's just, it's similar to home and I identify with certain parts of it and it's not too uncomfortable. But then I've also been to countries where I get there and I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm, I'm in a different place. Like I stand out, I feel different. This is not anything I'm used to. Can you remember the first time that you were in that situation? That's a really good question. Honestly, it was probably the first time that I ever went on a trip with my best friend, Jan, um, who I started the YouTube series with. It was literally very random. I just booked a flight to Bratislava in Slovakia and we just went. And he didn't know anything about the journey. So it was all down to me to plan. So the concept was I plan the entire journey and only in the airport, Jan gets to know where we fly next. Um, that was the idea of the journey. So I like it was all down to my responsibility to organize the trip. And we flew to Slo Slovakia. It was super delayed. We arrived in the evening quite late. And I was like, what on earth am I doing? Like, even though it was just Slovakia, it was literally in the EU. There was nothing to worry about. It felt really strange because for the first time ever, I was 15, 16 at that time, I think. And I was like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, this, is, this feels so strange. All of a sudden, I'm in Bratislava. No one speaks German. Like, it's, it's such a different world in a way. You know, I, I obviously had my best friend with me and there was nothing to worry about. But even that was the first time that I was really out of my comfort zone because I didn't have any proper adult with me so it was actually my best friend who signed like the agreement like oh yeah I'm, I'm happy to take care of Luca while we're traveling and whatever for the official purposes but he was also just like my best friend so uh, we were basically on our own and that was the first time that I was out of my comfort zone but obviously then it broadened up and broadened up and at some point we left Europe for more adventurous destinations if that makes sense and um, yeah it just keeps evolving it gets scarier as well all the time like you start obviously around your core countries and like western europe and then you maybe go to the middle east a couple of times and then at some point you end up in places like afghanistan like the development it's quite rapid as well yeah so what are those feelings like when you say you're uncomfortable what does that feel like because i i know a lot of people well i actually i don't know a lot of people but i know of a lot of people in populations that don't particularly leave their country you know I'll, I'll give you two examples uh a lot of americans almost half of them don't have a passport they've never left their country even though they have one of the most powerful passports in the world and japan has the most powerful passport in the world i just spent three months in japan at the beginning of the year and i think 17 or 25 percent of those people you know somewhere in that range of a quarter of people have their passport they don't leave the country. I think maybe one, being comfortable with where you are is, is one reason, but two, the other reason could be you just are afraid, right? So how do you describe what the discomfort is if, if someone is thinking about going to a new place? Like, what does it actually feel like? I think it's a lot about purpose when it comes to traveling. Like when you decide to go on holidays, when, there's, when you see a lot of people from the UK go to Ibiza, for example, that doesn't have to do much with immersing oneself in the culture, right? Like that's more, okay, I go on holiday to party, not necessarily to experience a different culture or to learn something about the world, but more to 
drink my brain away and party, which can be nice for sure. You know, there's a lot of um, good things about it as well, occasionally, I guess. But um, it's not the way that I like to travel. So I like to actually immerse myself in the culture and go to the off the beaten paths destinations. And I think it's always good to seek discomfort. I think that's very important to step out of your comfort zone and immerse yourself in new and yeah, novel experiences because that's the only way you can really broaden your horizon. And it's a challenging thing. And I'm not even sure if I would say it's necessary for a lot of people to do that. Like I'm sure you can learn a lot by just having the internet, watching videos on YouTube, watching even travel videos. I'm sure you'll learn a lot about culture, about different countries. Um, but there's nothing like traveling yourself, obviously. If you want to learn about the world, the best thing is literally just don't even look up anything. Just go to a place, hope for the best, meet new people and let them tell, tell you their story. Uh, and that's probably the best way to go about, like, if you want to immerse yourself uh, in some yeah, new experience, really. Yeah. There's so many ways to travel and so many purposes in that travel sector. Like a lot of people travel for holidays. A lot of people travel to, I don't know, find a new partner or like just try new food. Like what is your way? For me personally, it's about learning languages a lot of the time. That's how it started as well. I wanted to improve my languages uh, that I learned in school as well. And then um, it's also about just connecting with people. And uh, for example, with juggling, I have a lot of juggling contacts around the world and we obviously always practice together. And there's in every country, you have some sort of different juggling culture, which can be interesting to explore as a juggler. Um, so once you have a hobby that connects people, you already have connection and it's easier to, to explore as well in the country once you have locals around you. Um, but it's just yeah, a question of what do you travel for? A lot of people like trying all the different foods. I'm, I'm vegan, so I have sometimes a hard time even doing that. Um, so I'm quite a strict vegetarian when I travel. I obviously can't be vegan all the time, but... Again, what I do usually is I try to reach out to local business owners of vegan restaurants or like vegans in those countries and then hang out with them. And yeah, you, you get to meet new people all the time. And that's the, the that's the fun thing for me in the whole going to every country in the world. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about some of the countries you've been to. So I would love if people have their perceptions, okay, of different places, regions of the world. Uh, some there they feel more strongly about or more comfortable about others they just can't believe why you would even bother to think about going there what are a few examples of countries you've been to so far that you think the average person would be like dude what the hell <laughs> like why would you go there well afghanistan iraq haiti yemen you name it there's so many places in the world that no one really goes to and you get a lot of backlash for that as well like i did a syria trip last year and literally there was a person from the European Parliament tweeting about us saying, oh, you're doing regime propaganda and stuff. So you get a lot of backlash for it as well. What I try to do is I try to show the positive sides of the country and even a country like Syria has positive sides to it, obviously. And there's so many people, there's millions, millions of people, in fact, living in those countries still. Um, and of course, you need to always differentiate between politics and the local people living in the culture. The Syrian people can't do much for their dictator. But um, yeah, I think every country has so many beautiful things to offer that the media doesn't show usually. 
And that's in a way also my purpose of showing those sides. Because of course I can go to Syria and be like, oh, everything is bad, everything is destroyed by the war, but that's not the case. And there's so many beautiful things about Syrian culture to highlight as well that I want to show on my channel. And then obviously it's easy for people to mistake it as in, oh, you're trying to show Syria from the beautiful side because you want to do regime propaganda, which is what that lady claimed. But that's clearly not true because it's just, you can't always generalize a country and there's so many um, sources in the, in the, in the, on the internet and in videos and news already, you always hear about the bad stuff. Think of Yemen or Iraq. You don't usually think about the beautiful sides of that country because you just see the news and you think you have a perception of what that country is like. But there are so many different aspects to a country. And I want to show on my Instagram, on my TikTok, I want to show the people, hey, this side of the country also exists. That doesn't mean I necessarily recommend people going there. But like... Do I recommend traveling to Syria? Probably not. It's still quite a dangerous area to visit, of course. Yeah, As a tourist, you're quite safe in Damascus. That shouldn't be mistaken as, an, oh, we can send all the uh, refugees back that are now in, in Europe. No, they would immediately be put into prison, probably worse. Um, so that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, okay, as a tourist, visiting Damascus is reasonably safe. There's a lot of beautiful things there that I want to share with my followers. And um, that's what I'm doing. So when I go to places like Afghanistan, I, to be fair, I went before the Taliban takeover, about half a year before. Um, I was teaching at a circus school there. And there as well, like, you have such a war-torn country, especially before the Taliban takeover, it was all very, very unstable, the whole situation. Um, I was teaching in a circus school there, which was this, like, exclave of happiness in the center of Kabul, which was great. And now with the Taliban takeover, it basically had to close down completely, which is pity to see. Um, it's yeah, it, you meet so many people. You meet so many people as well on your travels that you obviously connect. And then, yeah, once political situations change, like now in uh, in Afghanistan, for example, it, it's heartbreaking. You know, of course, those countries are very unsafe, but they also have so much beauty in them, and that's why I try to show on my channel. But in a situation where, I, I don't know if you've thought about this, I'm, I'm sure you must have, or, or probably your parents make you think about it a lot, but what is it? Like, you have the goal of visiting every country, right? And so not every country, like you said with Afghanistan at this point, for example, is accessible or um, even close to being recommended, let's say. Do you have a line where you draw between like, you know, this is the goal I have to visit every country and hey, there are some countries that's like, I, I don't really know how I'm going to do this, like without maybe something dangerous happening to me. I think if you care a lot about safety, you just shouldn't go there. Um, I have this goal of visiting every country, which is a huge reason why I go to certain places. Um, for example, Yemen, I don't have any contacts in Yemen, but still I decided to go, okay, because I'm on my mission to visit every country, obviously. Um, I don't really recommend going to those places necessarily, but if you do decide to go... Uh, but do you not just, care about your life? <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I'm saying I, I, I get your way. question, I get your question, but I think if, if, you, if you want to become a serious traveler in that regard, you can't care too much about safety. And there's also so many other things that can go wrong, like... Um, sure, like, sh sure, terrorism is a huge threat, but 
should you worry about terrorism? No, statistically speaking, it's one of the <laughs> rarest ways to die, you know. Um, there's so many other things. When I go to Africa, I don't worry about the human aspect of safety usually. I worry way more about things like malaria or dengue. So I need to take malaria prophylaxis, things like these. Um, I try not to worry about safety too much when I travel there because otherwise you go insane. You just need to go with the flow, have a bit of human instinct like, oh, does this, does this street look dodgy or not? Can I go in there? Maybe not, then maybe I leave it. Um, obviously, I'm a guy as well. It's much harder to travel the world as a woman. Yeah, Of course, as a European, you always stand out with my long blonde hair as a guy. I do stand out, but it's much safer for me to travel to many regions in the world compared to if I were a woman. Yeah, and you look like a friendly person, so that also helps too, <laughs> you know? Like, you don't look like you mean harm. Some people have that look. I, 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 I feel I would have that look more than you, you know? You, you definitely, well, no, you look like a friendly person as well, I'd say, right? <laughs> it's, just a, it's just, yeah, I think you have a point there because the, the whole aspect of being kind to people, I think that has a big impact. Like, I've, I've also realized that changed a bit in my personality. I'm... Um, I'm by no means an aggressive person. I never was. But when someone says something slightly offending or something, I always try to play it down and be like, oh, okay, it's okay. Try to ease the situation a bit because I learned from my traveling, hey, just don't create any drama anywhere. Like don't create conflict basically with people you don't want to get in trouble with and you'll be better off. Like basically having this like Swiss approach of being as neutral as possible. And even if someone says something offensive or something maybe even aggressive to me, don't get involved in that fight. Just stay calm and keep your temper and just be kind to everyone because then it, they're going to have a hard time not being kind to you, basically. Yeah. If you could paint a picture for someone who hasn't even watched a video of a place like Yemen uh, or uh, another poor country that you've been to, or third world country like Afghanistan, Yemen. Um, what is that like? How does it differ than maybe like a Western country in the way that it looks and feels and how the people act and whatnot? It's so different. It's so different. Um, it's heartbreaking, really, as a European traveler. The thing it does the most is that it makes you appreciate the comfort and luxury that you live in Europe. Um, for sure, it's tough. Yeah, once you go to places like Afghanistan or Yemen, you have not just forced child labor or child slavery, child slavery, we're talking about all of those things, but you also have children throwing themselves onto the road in front of cars trying to stop them to get money. It's heartbreaking things. Yeah, once you arrive in Kabul airport, I don't know what it's like nowadays since the takeover, but the first thing I saw was a group of like five people running onto the highway to trying to stop the car. They saw I was white. They thought, hey, he must be rich. We'll try to make the car stop and uh, get money from him. And it's wow. heartbreaking because you want to help those kids, but you just can't because it, it's around every corner, right? Um, it's a very, very heartbreaking thing to do. And I don't think a lot of people, like my mom, for example, she works with children here in, in Germany. And I don't like I think it would break her completely traveling to those places. I would not recommend it to to her. Um, and in some weird sense, you have to get used to it, which is nearly impossible. It always breaks my heart. And then you go to places like even Pakistan or Bangladesh, where it's common for, for children to work on the buses and to collect the money from the people 
And it's basically child labor everywhere that you see, like seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boys um, being on the buses, collecting the money, and you think they should be spending their childhood in a much better way. And you want to help those people, but you can't, obviously. Sometimes you you meet some kids in some random area and you're like, hey, okay, here's here's a tenner, here's $10. And they have the biggest smile on their face, but that's also not sustainable. You know, like in, in some weird way, I feel weird doing that because um, then they kind of see meaning in begging as well, which I don't exactly want to want to have as a result like i'd rather much rather try to inspire them to do something or try to aspire for bigger things in their lives but it's it's very very difficult um yeah and also security wise yemen is anarchy basically you don't have safety guaranteed you can go to the border rent a machine gun for like 20 dollars if you have the right contacts per day and yeah like it's it's very very straightforward that my guide was like yeah if you want we can pay 20 dollars get a gun um, once you go into Yemen, you see a lot of like those little bullets as well everywhere. And it's it's a lawless place. And it makes you appreciate the safety that you have in Germany. I'm someone, I complain about my own country of Germany a lot. The trains are never on time. The um, <laughs> It's very inefficient at times. It's not often the Germany that is portrayed in the media. But um, yeah, we have trains. We have times trains. Even if they're 20 minutes late, we have them. I can get the next one. It works. It's a functioning country. Even though I don't have internet on the train, it's okay. I, I'll reach my, my, my city and then I have internet again. It, it just functions. And if I'm sick, I can call an ambulance, you know. There's so many luxuries that we have in Europe that we don't appreciate or North America or um, Australia as well, right? We're just talking about developed countries now. But um, it, it really makes you appreciate it. So the best thing about traveling is you feel so much more grateful once you get home. And yeah, it's a heartbreaking experience though. So you've been to, is it 159 countries I saw on your Instagram? Correct. Is that Correct. up to date? That's updated. So, yeah. so you've been to 159 countries. Where would you say people are the happiest? No, you know, you have the happy, happiest countries index, like uh, there's this right. index that's published annually. And, and like what, what's important for me personally and for a lot of people is that you don't have very depressing weather at times. Like a lot of sun helps. It makes happier people usually. Um, so once you look at the happiest country index, um, it's usually the Nordics, which rank the first and then it's Israel and then a bunch of other Central European countries. But um, I'm not sure how much I agree with this. Like from my own personal experience, once I go to Scandinavia, yes, people are happy, but how much can you really trust those surveys, right? Like, sure, they will, they're super educated. It's probably the best countries to live in on the planet. Um, same with Switzerland, same with Luxembourg, those places. But I think on an everyday basis, a lot of people don't recognize their privileges here in, in, in Europe. And I think that's one of the things that, that changes once, yeah, may, maybe once you have, ah, it, it's such a hard topic. It's such a hard topic because you really need those studies. But then again, those studies are so subjective, right? In my personal experience, I think cold countries usually have maybe slightly sadder people than the sunny countries. Like there's some truth to it. Once you go to, to Africa, you can be in a really poor place, but once you go to a village, people are dancing, people are happy. Same in Latin America. It's by no means a rich area. If you go to some 
some barrios in, in Brazil, but people are dancing, people are happy, people are partying. Yeah, there's so much happiness. Um, and then you go to England and everything is gray and miserable a lot of the time. So in Germany as well. But no, I think happiest people overall, if I had to break it down, it would probably be Israel, Latin America. Brazil is a big one as well. Mexico, very happy people there. I always say Portugal is the Brazil of Europe, if that makes sense. Very chill people there as well. Um, I might try to move to Spain next year once I'm done visiting every country, hopefully, because I quite enjoy living in, uh, like I quite enjoy the idea of living in Spain because it has also some of the happiest people in Europe. Um, but I personally am someone I need the sun. Yeah. Speaking from a, a, a childhood of Canada where <laughs> maybe, maybe sun wasn't the problem, but more so uh, heat is definitely an issue most of the year. I'd say eight, eight months of the year, it's not particularly warm. So I can yeah. definitely have, I've been able to tell that the hotter the weather or just the less cold the weather, the better that life seems to be every single day. So I can definitely agree with you on that one. Yeah. And it's also obviously once you have those surveys, for example, for the happiness index and you ask people, hey, how grateful are you? How happy are you living in the country that you live in? And you go to Scandinavia, of course, a lot of people will reflect on their, on their luxury and be like, yeah, I cannot complain really. I have everything I need. I have healthcare. I have um, proper housing. I have safety guaranteed. A lot of people in this moment reflect on those things. And um, uh, so in, in those moments when you actually reflect, probably a lot of people will say, yeah, I'm happy because you don't have much to complain about. But then on an everyday basis, I think when you look at things like the suicide rates, which are usually higher in developed countries as well, once you go to like Japan or even Finland, which I believe have some of the highest suicide rates in the world, you realize, well, I'm not sure how much I agree then putting Finland as the happiest country in the world if they have some of the highest suicide rates in the world, right? Um, so that's kind of my point. Like you need to take a lot of different factors into consideration. That's probably not sufficient as much respect as I have for the people doing the, the happiness index surveys because uh, they collect huge amounts of data, I'm sure. But um, I'm sure not everything is covered in those, in those surveys. So speaking of data, I mean, you, you're going to every country, right? So you can come up with your own sense of conclusions over some different topics. So we'll, 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 we'll remind everybody that this is from your perspective, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because this is a topic I've been personally curious about for a while. It's the relationship between money and happiness. So you've been to obviously first world countries and then the lawless countries of, of Yemen and whatnot. Do you think that having more money or living somewhere that has more money equates to more happiness? It very often does, but it definitely doesn't have to. Um, once you lack essential things like food and water, happiness goes down the drain, 100%. I've seen that in places like Haiti or Yemen. In Haiti, we did street interviews with the local people and they told me, hey, I don't even have money to buy water. I don't have running water. The area where I live, cars don't even, the, the area where I live, cars don't even enter because they would be robbed immediately. Uh, once you get to this point of poverty, happiness is nearly impossible. But I don't think it's impossible to be poor and happy, if that makes sense. You see this across many countries that lack a lot of things, but have some infrastructure in place. I think of Latin America here. Um, 
a lot of places live very, very happy lives, arguably happier lives than um, a lot of people in Europe. And again, that's coming from my opinion. And if you ask those people, sure, they would say, I would always go and live in Europe. But then if you ask the people in Europe, a lot of them will say, oh, they live such a, such a happy life down there in the sun by the beach. I would trade that for my European luxury life. And I, I'm in a, in a special position here because I get to see both of those realities. And I'm not sure. I personally, I, I love Europe. I always love being here because I learn to appreciate it in my travels, right? I'm always like, even if it's gray, if it's raining, if it's miserable and everyone complains about the weather, I'm like, wow, I have amazing food. I can go to the supermarket. I can cook some great stuff here. I, it's affordable as well. A lot of people think once you go to Africa or poorer countries that it's mega cheap. It's not. Yeah, Asia is pretty cheap compared to Europe and a lot of South America or Central America as well. But once you go to Africa, most things are terribly much more expensive than in Europe, anywhere in Europe, really. And then you have the combination of people not earning nearly as much as in, in, in Europe. Um, a lot of jobless people, homeless people, lots of poverty and things being very expensive. And that just equates to being quite a miserable existence for many people, sadly. And once you reach that level, it's hard to be happy, I think. But when you have some sort of infrastructure in place, um, I see very often that I believe, wow, those people are happier than a lot of the people that I know in Europe. Like I think of my, a lot of my juggling friends in Central and South America live off traffic light juggling, which is basically you juggle at the traffic light when it's green for the, for the pedestrians you do a little show and then you go and collect money from the cars, right? So it's some sort of street show, but the amount that they make doing that is very, very little. And um, yeah, they, they live off that. And especially in places like Venezuela, it can be quite a tough life. But then those people, they do the shows in the morning, then they have the rest of the day free, basically. They they go, they smoke, they drink their beers, they live their lives, do how they, how they want to do it. But you know, it wouldn't be for me, but a lot of those people are much happier than a lot of the people that I know in Europe, I would argue. Yeah. And look, I've been to, you know, my fair share of those different countries, the third world versus the first first world. One thing that I learned as I was traveling specifically through Bangkok, and I had met a lot of different expats who were from the US, Canada, the UK, um, and had moved over to that part of the world. I asked a lot of them, you know, why live here? Because one thing that I keep wrapping my head around, and I know a lot of people would think about this too, is opportunities, right? So if I'm at home in North America, there's a lot of opportunities. I'm probably I'm making more money. You know, I'm able to save more. I could live somewhat more lavishly, you know, relatively more lavishly. When I, why would I go out to Bangkok? per se, or why would I go out to another place per se? And why would I live somewhere far away from all of my friends and whatnot? And one thing I've noticed that goes along with this is the aspect of individualism versus community living. And a lot of them talk to me about how in these poorer countries, there's a high sense of community, which I think equates to a higher level of happiness. Whereas back home, we tend to want to do a lot of things by ourselves. And that's a much lonelier experience of life. I very much agree. I very much agree. Again, think of Latin America. It's the same thing. You have such a sense of community. Also in those juggling communities that I know, everyone 
always hangs out together. There's not a single day that you spend on your own. And um, just overall, think of Latin America, all the parties, all the nightlife. There's so many community events as well, um, often much more than you have in Europe. And I very much agree that that leads to more happiness, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so speaking of that, have you taken anything away from your travels that you apply when you live at home? And I, I can give you an example here of I, when I moved to Japan and I lived there for a few months, one thing I learned is that, you know, as I use chopsticks more and more, it was actually harder to eat faster. And so I wouldn't gulf my food down with a fork and a spoon and be done in two minutes. I would have to actually spend a lot of time eating that meal. And so I ended up feeling a lot more satiated as I ate more and more. And that led me to not eat as much. And I think I felt better overall. Are there certain things you've learned in different places that you've traveled to that you now take home with you? Oh, that's such a good question. I'm sure there's a lot of those things. One thing that always surprises me, I wouldn't particularly call myself very German, like a classical German, if that makes sense. But I realize more and more, the more I travel, I'm like, oh, you're so German. You're always on time. You're always very structured, very planned through, very tidy, if that makes sense. Um, there's so many things about me as well that I learned on those travels. But then obviously you take a lot of things back from traveling. For example, when you go to um, places like Ethiopia where you eat with your hands or Yemen as well, talking about the Middle East again, um, or Southern Asia, I think uh, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, when you eat with your hands, you never burn yourself. Because with a fork, you can just put it straight into your mouth and burn yourself. But when you pick things up with your hands, if the rice is hot, you just drop it and it doesn't hurt your hand much. But you know when to put it in your mouth because it's you know the temperature before you put it in your mouth. That's like some of the things that makes just so much sense. And it's not even that I that I then go back at home like eating just with my hands, eating my muesli with my hands. No, I don't do that. But uh, <laughs> But it's so many things and wisdoms that you learn and I'm personally, I'm an absolute geography nerd. I love linguistics as well. Um, learning about languages, etymologies, how things are related. Uh, I love all this international stuff. And you so learn so many things on, on your travels, of course. Yeah. How many languages do you speak? Depends what you classify as speaking, but in order of proficiency, probably German, English, uh, Spanish and Hebrew on a like decent level. And then French was my most important subject in school, but it's awfully bad because I learned Spanish afterwards and it was like, Man, <laughs> it's not quite bad. But um, I tried to do a bit of Arabic as well, but it's just such a painful language to learn because of all the different dialects. So when, I'm, when I go to Lebanon and I'm like, Bidi something, and then I go to the Gulf states and they're like, what on earth are you on about? Sure, they understand, but they just think you're a bit of a retard when you speak like that. <laughs> so... Um, no, uh, I learned Indonesian as well because it's the easiest language, natural language to, to learn in the world because it basically has no grammar. It's very straightforward. It's like building Legos, really. Um, so you only, need to work, you only need to learn vocabulary for Indonesian and that's it. Um, so Indonesian, Malay, basically the same. Um, it's not fluent or something by no means, but um, give me a week and I can probably be pretty conversant again in that. And then... Right now, I'm trying to learn Mandarin, which is a tough one because of the tones. But yeah, I'm interested in linguistics overall, not just learning languages, but also learning about languages and language change and everything related to that. 
How do you go about learning a language? Like when you decide that you want to learn a new language, even if you don't want to learn the whole thing and become proficient in speaking, writing, uh, and, and all that, what are the first few steps that you're thinking of? Now, this is not sponsored, but I actually do a lot of Duolingo. That's how I get how into I get languages it. in the beginning. I know a lot of people complain about Duolingo, but I think it helps. I complain Surely, about it. Yeah, that's it, I'm curious to hear that. Yeah, like you can never get fluent only by doing Duolingo, right? I finished the entire Indonesian tree, I think to gold or something. But um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I'm a great Indonesian speaker. But you can go on and learn it in a smart way, right? Duolingo is completely for free. Even if you only do a couple of lessons a day and you write down each and every new vocab, you put it into your pocket and when you're waiting for the bus, you learn vocab. That's a smart way to go about it, right? I think grammar in the beginning doesn't matter. I love learning about grammar, but it doesn't matter at all. It, it's only about speaking the language, which is vocab, right? So you need to learn the vocab, somehow get it into your head and speak from day one. That's the biggest thing. Um, even if I know I have terrible... Mandarin, now I'm studying Mandarin. I was at the European Juggling Convention recently and I met a, a girl from Taiwan whose native language is Mandarin, actually. And um, I was speaking, just randomly started, I randomly started speaking to her in Mandarin. She was like, what on earth are you on about? But I just went for it because I felt like, hey, even if it's just like three, four sentences, I want to try. And even if I can just improve those three, four sentences, then I improve, right? And that's the biggest thing about a language. You don't need grammar. I can say... Uh, I go bus station when, yeah, you, you don't need grammar. Obviously, I English is as well a language that um, a lot of people are afraid to, to speak. Yeah, once you go to Germany, a lot of people don't want to speak English because they're afraid of making mistakes. But um, I have a very strong German accent, obviously, in English. I know that myself. But um, it's so important to just speak and communicate and then it's up to you whether you tell the people, hey, if I do mistakes, if I commit mistakes, like correct me, don't correct me. It's your preference. But I think it's so important to learn vocabulary first, then communicate and then add the grammar at some point. What is your tolerance to failure or your perception of making a mistake? It seems like from what you said, right, a lot of people are afraid to make those initial mistakes and so they don't even try. You seem to be different. How do you approach that? You just need to go for it and improve. Everyone makes mistakes all the time. And if you don't commit mistakes, that's the way to learn, right? You need to make mistakes in order to learn. And um, yeah, a lot of people are shy of speaking a language because they think, oh, I have a strong accent or I make grammar mistakes or I don't know the vocab. And then so what? I, I Usually when I speak a language, I have a little note um, thing, like literally just on my notes app on my iPhone when I speak language and I don't know a word, I ask the person like, hey, by the way, how do you say that? And then I write it down and in the evening I go through it and I learn it and then next time I know. And that's how you improve, right? You can't be afraid to make mistakes. I think it's like that in, in all aspects of life really, but certainly when it comes to, to learning languages as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because the maybe the German says, oh, well, I ha I'll have an accent when I speak. But when you travel, that accent, when you're speaking English to someone else, is actually a great icebreaker into where you're from For sure. and who you are. So I it actually is a super strength, in a sense. Accents are beautiful. I say this all the time. A lot of the times when I filmed TikTok videos in the past, people were like, oh, you sound so German. It's awful, right? There's a lot of like negativity around accents and um, 
yeah, not sounding native, but hey, if you have an accent in a language, it just means you speak a whole other language fluently that probably the other person doesn't, right? Uh, I think there's so much diversity and I, I love accents. It's great. Of course, it's an icebreaker. When I hear someone um, in Germany, we're very straightforward with stuff like that. When you hear someone speaking German with an accent or English with an accent, I'm not afraid to ask, hey, where are you from? Like, what's that accent like? Or sometimes on the train, I ask people, sorry, but what language are you speaking? Is that Georgian? And they're like, no, nah, it's not Georgian, but it's close there. Like <laughs> some some local language in southern Russia or something. You know, there's like so, man, so many options of um, of conversations when you're not afraid to to approach people when it comes to languages and being open about accents and also not judging people. I know we Germans were great at that, at judging people, but uh, just don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so right now you're traveling around the world and you're also doing these juggling competitions. I'm assuming that the juggling is the way that you're financing these trips. Are you, how are you traveling? Like, do you travel in more of a luxury sense, more of a budget sense, more of in the middle? How does that look like from a like a financial standpoint? Honestly, budget travel all the way. <laughs> um, I do a lot of juggling shows and now I started doing a lot of social media as well. I basically live off TikTok and the juggling shows. Um, so whenever I'm in Europe, I perform occasionally and I still do some shows with my juggling team. Um, so I moved to Austria after. So I, I actually stopped my my degree in in. in so I actually stopped my high school. What What is it? Is it high school? Like when you get your, your graduation? I didn't do my full graduation because I actually moved to Austria to perform juggling. And okay. um, so I, I've been living off that. And now also obviously my social media is helping. And I'm basically at plus minus zero. It's enough to cover the, the travel expenses and fund my mission to visit every country. Um, but it's also not easy. I definitely need to stay on a very tight budget. Yeah. I can't go to every place and just be in a, in a five-star hotel. I usually genuinely take the cheapest accommodation from booking. Mm. And what is budget traveling like in a budget country, if you understand what I'm saying, in a poorer country where we would expect, like if I'm going to go somewhere that's less wealthy, I'll try to stay in the best possible place so I can you know, not feel as uncomfortable. But what does budget traveling look like in those scenarios? It's being put to the extreme in, in a lot of African countries. So usually when you go to Asia, I think Vietnam or even India nowadays is, uh, is a great place where you can really leverage your money a bit better. And if you want, you can live a life of luxury. Think especially of places like Thailand that are significantly more affordable when it comes to hotels, etc. So if you want, you can make your money work and be like, okay, I'm going to a fancy hotel and sometimes I do that obviously if it's affordable I, I do that as well but in a lot of places um, they are poor and it's expensive especially as a tourist once you want to spend the night somewhere so recently I was in Guinea in Conakry and I spent two nights uh, at a hotel and it was like over $80 a night and it was like one of the cheapest it wasn't the cheapest but it was one of the cheapest accommodations in the city um, it was a decent hotel, but it wasn't great. They just don't have the the touristic infrastructure that you have hostels and things like that. It just doesn't exist. And then sometimes you go to places that are poor and expensive and they're very run down. So 
in Guinea-Bissau, for example, I was sleeping in the cheapest accommodation recently, but um, it was I was literally sleeping on the floor. There was like a cut box thing on the floor and the mattress, but it was completely moldy. It had bad, bad bugs everywhere and it's not a great place to sleep. And then still you're spending like 25 euros a night or something. And you're like, wait, what am I exactly spending that money on? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite expensive here. So it's put to the extreme a lot of the time. But um, yeah, Europe is great for budget travelers. You can stay in a lot of hostels. Asia is great if you want to leverage your money and stay fancy for a little. And, a and Africa, for example, as a whole, is just very difficult to travel to on a budget because you don't have the touristic infrastructure of hostels and hotels also are in a position to charge a lot for travelers because they know we're basically the only option and we need to guarantee the safety of our guests, etc. Um, yeah. Do you ever think of taking a corporate job, the nine to five? Does that ever ring inside of your head? No, I was always like, since the very beginning, I was like, okay, I'm either going to be a juggling performer, which is self-employed and a very free life. Um, or, well, what do I do? Maybe I do street shows. Maybe I move somewhere else, somewhere cheaper. But it was never an idea that I go the traditional way of climbing the corporate ladder, if that makes sense. Um, that doesn't mean I, I like education or something. I do a lot of free like uni courses and MOOCs and stuff like that. I really enjoyed. Um, and I also plan to, to, to start my own business at some point, like not just my personal business, but a proper business. So I'm not against the corporate world, if that makes sense. I have a lot of friends who do just that. Um, like I was, I don't know if you saw, I was put on the Forbes 30 under 30 list last year and I went to the Forbes summit, for example. And the people you meet there, they're like the craziest corporate people you can imagine, obviously. And I, I love hanging around them as well. It's, it's, a, it's, it's fun, but having a regular nine to five job for me doesn't do it. If anything, it would have to be my own project that I work for, like my own dream that I work for and not someone else's dream, if that makes sense. Why do you think that there are so many people in the world, and I'm sure you have a lot of friends like this, you know, a lot of adults, just anyone you come across. Uh, I, and again, I'll preface and say, this is provided that you have the choice in life. So assuming you have the choice to do what you want and you have that freedom. Why do you think that so many people choose to work in jobs that they know they don't like and or choose to live lives that they know won't make them happy? Why do we choose to do those things? Because they're afraid of doing something wrong. That's what it comes down to. They, they know they just have one life, but so many people prefer safety and they procrastinate the adventures and they procrastinate their ideals for a feeling of safety and security, knowing, okay, if I apply for that job, it might be a shit pay. It might be not what I want. I might waste literally all day, every day, but at least it assures me that I, I, I live a safe life. I have maybe health insurance included. Now, again, provided you have the options, I think people are very afraid to, to make mistakes. And I think that's, that's a mistake for everyone. Like imagine, I, I love this video. There was, I think Jay Shetty posted that video at some point. Like, um, imagine a world where everyone lives their passion. Like, it would be, we'd be better people. We'd be better partners. Um, I think someone can reference the video probably. But I watched this video like every day when I when I started the like idea of okay, I want to quit my my high school education and actually go straight into into juggling. I was a very good student in school. It's not that I couldn't have done it, but I at some point walked to my teachers and I was like, by the way, I'm not going to 
do my whole uh no i'm not gonna do my whole education i'm basically gonna drop out and follow my passion and turn out to be the right thing i would do it again um a lot of people are afraid to do mistakes but i think it's so important also for society to, to step out of the comfort zone and push the boundaries in so many ways recently i got very inspired by brian johnson um who i don't do you know brian johnson yeah yeah, we've yeah. reached out to him to be on the podcast. Yeah, working no on way. that. Yes, Ardom. no way. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. So health is something that I got into way more recently. Over the past months, I've I've tried to improve my health, um, do more workouts as well, eat healthy food. Because a lot of the times, also when you're traveling, you eat garbage. You ju- just eat utter garbage. And then when I'm home, I'm like, why do I still eat that garbage when I can eat all those amazing food and do good things for my body? Um, and I always, and that's not even a joke, um, many years ago already, I was thinking, imagine there's like a way where you can get like, like a, basically a protocol, which is what Brian Johnson is doing right now, like an idea of a set, like plan to get all your nutritions, etc. done. And now I found Brian Johnson and he's really been inspiring me. So at home, I really try to uh, implement more and more changes towards a healthy lifestyle as in not eating anything that has added sugar in or eating like all your veggies all the day, getting at least eight hours of sleep every night and just trying to do good things for your body. And I've seen big results as well in my productivity. Like it's so, it makes such a difference. It's actually insane. Like it's one of the best things that I've implemented in, into my life. And I sometimes miss it as well when traveling because obviously I can't go to, to <laughs> I don't know, I can't go to Sierra Leone and be like, oh, where's my spirulina shake with extra protein? Like, <laughs> no, that doesn't work. But at least when I'm home and when you have the choice of making that healthy choice, I try to do that as much as I can. For sure. And circling back to the the risks and the mistakes conversation. So you say a lot of people are afraid to take those risks, right? Yeah, for sure. What are some ways if I'm sit like if I'm in my normal life, and let's say I'm not in a position where I can go out and travel and learn the lessons that you're learning actively. What are some things I can do to start becoming more accustomed to failing or taking more risks, getting out of my comfort zone? Are there any ways that you've kind of dumbed it down or given advice to your friends on what we can do to become more risk averse? I think a lot of people are just afraid of starting something and then committing because there's a lot of judgment obviously involved from friends as well, right? So I like the idea of just not giving a damn of what people think. And in fact, it's it's important to me that people think of me well and that I treat people kindly and that people like me. Yeah, that's important to me. But if there's random people on TikTok hating me, you can't let that come to you. And the same if you have toxic friends or relationships that drag you down and that try to tell you hey you can't do that because you're giving up safety or security of course all of my teachers were against me dropping out of school obviously yeah it's the it's the right thing to do for many people I, i'm not saying drop out of school but if you have a clear path and you can trust yourself what's the worst thing you can what, what's the worst thing that, that can happen given that you live a privileged privileged life in the us canada or europe or australia for example What's the worst thing that that can happen, honestly? In the worst case, you're completely broke. You go back to your family. What can happen, you know? And then you try to retake your exams or whatever. It's always risk management. Yes, is important, but also just trying to commit. And it's a lot about trusting yourself as well. For me, it was like, okay, I trust myself. 
even if I'm completely broke, I might even need to um, borrow some money from some friends. Okay, so be it. Then I try to make it back and I and I still follow through with my passion. Like, what's the worst thing that, that can happen? And if that's a question that I think about a lot as well when going to those dangerous countries. It's like, okay, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? And then you're like, okay, I'm probably like... I don't know, maybe malaria, being in a hospital. One of my best friends, juggling friends, um, she lives in Burkina Faso now and she got malaria like twice and nearly died from it. And I'm like, who? Like, that's not something that I want to happen. That's probably the worst thing that can happen right now, you know? Um, but then you think, okay, how likely is it if I take all those precautions and if I trust myself with, in this sense, okay, doing mosquito, putting on mosquito repellents, sleeping under mosquito nets, for example or in other areas of life, how much do I trust myself that I can commit, that I can work on my own project, that I can follow through, maybe I have a startup that I want to do. How much do I trust myself that I will not just stay in bed and sleep all day long, but I actually sit down on my desk and work and work my ass off. How much do I trust myself? And um, that's what people should be asking themselves. And obviously if, if you're a person and that's completely fine as well, I think if you're like, no, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that because I need that security, that's okay. But then you can't really expect to to live a very free life because you'll always end up working for someone else's dream, if that makes sense. Because, yeah, there's a lot of people in this world that, that do follow through with their dreams, and I think that's what most people should be doing. And that doesn't mean quitting your job even. You can start a lot of projects while still working on your job, right? So um, one of my other best friends is a flight attendant, for example, and... Um, he also loves to travel. We've been traveling a lot together. And uh, he was like, okay, but I also want a bit of stability in my life. I want to become a flight attendant because that combines the best of both worlds. Like there are so many options. And I don't think, I think it's a mistake that people limit themselves to only a few when there's so many possibilities out there to work on, on your passion or your dream. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it all comes down really to the trust, right? How much do you trust in yourself? Exactly. Exactly. Like, it's so important if you if you can do anything good to yourself. I don't know if it's yoga, meditation, anything, eating healthy. Just show some love to your body and you'll be rewarded, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. How can we be better travelers, in your opinion? Whether that's travel hacks, travel tips, uh, getting more out of the experiences that you do. You know, we, saw, we talked about it earlier where you could go to Ibiza and get shit-faced and have that week and go back to your job. That's one way of doing it. But if I'm... If I'm trying to use travel to leverage my own self-growth, yeah. what are some things I can do to be a better traveler in that sense? I'd say give up comfort. That's probably what it boils down to. Uh, the more you give up comfort, the more you're thrown into different life situations. Another option is use couch surfing, for example, or other apps that just connect you straight with, uh, with other people because um, then you don't really know what you're expecting. If you book a whole vacation, like... Uh, uh, a trip to, to Greece and a hotel, everything is planned out. You, it's unlikely that something weird is going to happen or something interesting, if that makes sense. Um, the more unplanned you go about a journey, the, the more fun things will happen as well eventually. And there are a lot of beautiful touristy places as well that you can explore with a more um, unplanned mindset, if that makes sense. Think about the, the Maldives, for example. I went there with my, with my best friend and a lot of people don't know that you can actually travel the Maldives on a budget as well. Yeah, you can take the fruit ferry, which is like a, a, a ferry that travels from Malay to all the different islands. And then you stop at the local island. You still have all the gorgeous beaches, 
yes, you may, might not have a, a five-star hotel right next to it, but you live on a local island, you immerse yourself more in the culture, you still have some perks of the Maldives. And I think that's a way more fun to travel. Like taking the fruit ferry and sleeping next to the bananas is probably a better story in the end than uh, than sleeping in the in the in the private speedboat. <laughs> For sure. And do you have any travel hacks? A travel tip if you had one in particular? <laughs> Fun fact, I don't want to make advertisement now, but I actually <laughs> sorry to bring that up. Sorry to bring that up. I actually wrote a book on how to travel cheap. <laughs> it's only available in German though at the moment. I'm working on an English <laughs> version. But there's so many things genuinely to know um about traveling cheap really. Um use Skyscanner, honestly, it's probably the best tool. Sadly, it got a bit worse the last months, but um it's still probably the best tool to find cheap flights. Um just filter through the cheapest accommodation. It doesn't even matter which search engine you're using. I'm using booking.com. But for example, on Skyscanner, you have features like you can um, search to each and every destination, right? So you can select, okay, I want to travel in October and I want to go to anywhere in the world. And then you select it and it shows you, okay, Hungary, 10 euros, Croatia, 10 euros, uh, Romania, 10 euros. And you're like, wow, you can scroll down and it's so many places that are very affordable and you don't even need to fly. You can take trains, think of Interrail, for example, um, or buses if you want though that gets very uncomfortable if you do long long uh, long trips um but th- th- there's a lot of things that you can learn about traveling on a budget and getting out of your comfort zone yeah what do you think is the biggest thing if you're looking back on all of your trips so far that travel has taught you to be grateful for the life i'm living for sure like obviously there's a lot of factual knowledge that you learn of learning about geography, politics, languages, all that. A lot of human connections as well. So many friends that you make on the way. Um, one of the hardest things is actually not seeing your family or your close friends or if you're in a relationship, not seeing your girlfriend or boyfriend or anything, right? This will suffer if you travel full-time. And it's, it can be very sad at some point, but you really get very, very grateful um, to live such a privileged life at home. Yeah. And my last question for you, um, if you could give one piece of advice to anybody your age or within that age range on living a better life and doing what they love and, you know, bringing more meaning to their existence, what would you say? I honestly think there is absolutely no point in wasting your life and trying to aim for security only, again, given you have a choice. But uh, if you do have a choice, why don't you go for it? At the at the end of the day, or at the end of your life, what will you, what will you, like when you look back at your life in like 20, 30 years from now, I'm in my 20s now, when I look back in 20 years, will I think, oh, it was so important that I had to take this for security? No, I might be old at this point. I might even never reach that age. Like you never know in life. Why don't you go and follow through with your passion right now because you only know, okay, I'm living right now. Why don't you follow your dream? To me, it makes absolutely no sense how people can like waste their lives. I'm someone I always need something to do. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I have so many things to do. It gets exhausting as well. Like I have so many projects that I'm working on and um, yeah, community projects as well. I'm, I'm building Connect Circus right now, which is basically this portal where people can find like, uh, po- like, circus contacts around the world 
Um, yeah. So there's so many projects that I'm working on and I'm like, wow, how can people just sit on the couch and binge watch TV? I, I'm sure like if that's what you want to do, fine. I don't want to offend you, but I don't know. It's not for me. It's not for me. I always need something to do. And there's so little point. I think it's a mistake to, to waste your life away like that. Yeah. yeah. Go so, out and do something. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Where can people find you? Uh, everywhere, literally everywhere. I'm a transparent book, uh, honestly. Besides in every single country in the world, you know, where can people find? Oh, <laughs> wait, did you mean on social media or like more? Yeah, what? on social media. On social media. So I'm... Well, wherever, if you have a LinkedIn social media, yeah. how can, if people want to see your work and what you do and hear about your life, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm everywhere on social media. I'm just called at the German travel guy. It's pretty uniform everywhere. And uh, yeah, I'm always happy to also connect with people in all the different countries. Like, I will visit your country at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> Whoever's out He's there, I will visit for your you. country. Exactly. So just drop me a message. And if you live on the Marshall Islands, then drop me down below because I don't have any contacts then. I, we will meet. <laughs> Basically goes like that. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, man. Thank I you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't yet purchased your copy of our 365-day workbook, I highly recommend you do so. It is by far the best tool that you can have in your corner if you're hoping to make serious positive change to your life this year. And other than that, subscribe. We are releasing inspiring interviews every single week, sometimes even twice a week. Thanks again for listening. If there's one thing I can remind you, it is that everything in life comes down to your mindset. It's a mindset.